We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Joining me on the show is Dylan Rubin King. He's a reporter for us at uh, Ducks Digest, does a little bit of everything. We got some breaking news to get into right off the bat here. Huge recruiting weekend for the Ducks. Uh, Oregon just now today, Monday, January 31st, landing a commitment from 2022 quarterback, cornerback, excuse me, Jaleel Florence out of Lincoln High School in San Diego, California. Florence was here over the weekend uh, on an official visit. And uh, the Ducks snag a massive commitment in the days leading up to signing day. Dylan, just kind of want to get your reactions off the top here. And and we really want to break this one down. Yeah, it's absolutely huge. I mean, the fact that he was, you know, committed back in the summer um, and then decided to open things back up in December after Mario Cristobal left. It's huge that they brought him back with the whole brand new staff and they sold him on, you know, everything that they're going to be building. So the fact that you know, he, he took that last visit this past weekend and that kind of seemed to seal the deal. I think that's huge for Oregon and for him. So I'm glad that he decided to, to come back. And I, I'm glad that, you know, he's going to have a, a real opportunity to play in year one. Yeah, I mean, that's the the kind of, you know, caliber of, of a player that we're looking at with Florence, right? I think you're looking at a guy who, who's capable of contributing early, Um albeit at a position that is really difficult to contribute early with, you know, you don't see a ton of guys uh, across college football, always playing cornerback early, even look at Mikel Wright, who was the, I believe the highest rated corner that the ducks have, have ever landed. Uh, I might need to fact check that one, but he was, the point is he was a super highly rated guy and he didn't even become a bona fide starter necessarily, you know, for the ducks as a freshman, he was kind of uh, playing a little bit as a rotational guy and he was walking into a pretty solid situation when the Ducks had Thomas Graham, Diamondor Lenore already uh, in place and, you know, with some football under their belt. And um, I think that might be a little bit of a different situation now with Florence. Um, I mean, I don't know if we have to get into this right now, but just kind of talking about his fit and, and the situation that he's going to be coming into at Oregon. Um, not a lot of depth and experience at, at corner. Um, you know, you see Mikel Wright going to the NFL draft. You see DJ James. Um, oops, sorry, I'm getting a, getting a call. Sorry about that. Um, try to always mute my laptop, but I forgot to this time. That's okay, though. Um, but, yeah, so we have Wright and James uh, departing from the program uh, and uh, Triquez Bridges and Deont- Dante Manning, excuse me, 
uh, coming back uh, after you know their their biggest playing time in 21, and then you have Christian Gonzalez coming in uh, from Colorado. So um, maybe that's a cool place to start for for us. You know, kind of how do you think this move uh, you know affects the the cornerback room, uh, especially when you look at some of these re- recent additions that we've seen. Yeah, you make a good point about freshmen starting early. Like, I think the last time I can remember Oregon Corner starting year one was maybe Thomas Graham and Diamondor Lenore back in 2016. But that that team was pretty bare. You know, it was it was a rough year that year. So, um, you know, they were kind of rebuilding. So I don't really take that. Um, I don't really take that comparison too much. But, you know, just to go back on the last time that they probably did that. But I, I think that he's a guy that they can develop and, and you know, have him contribute pretty early on. Um, you know, you mentioned that there's a lot of, a lot of young talent. We've talked about it often. Um, you know, Avante Dickerson should probably get some playing time. Jalen Davies is still out there. He probably got the most out of the guys that came in last year in, in terms of playing time. And then there's Darren Barkins who didn't play. I, I don't think until the Alamo bowl, but I would expect that, you know, Christian Gonzalez with his relationship with coach meat and his experience in the PAC 12 as a starting corner, you know, lined up against number ones, I would expect him to be a starter, maybe alongside a Manning or Bridges. Uh, Maybe they kind of rotate those two guys out like we saw last year. But I think that, you know, having those two guys be the most experienced is a little, um, it's kind of tough just because you've had those reliable corners for the last few years. Talk about Graham, Lenore, um, Mikhail Wright. And now you're kind of starting from from scratch almost uh, with a whole new defensive coordinator, new cornerbacks coach. Um, You know, you're, really going off of guys with one year of experience at Oregon specifically. So, um, you know, I like the addition of Florence because I think he's a plug and play guy. Um, you know, he's not afraid to make a tackle. He's not afraid to get physical. He's not afraid to, you know, cover a guy in man or in zone. He's phenomenal wherever you put him on the field. And if they want to, like we see here, you can put him on as a, as a kick returner, as a punt returner. Um, and he can make plays. I think he does a little spin here not to spoil it. Oh, that's another one. I think, um, but he, he does, uh, he does uh, a lot of really good stuff as a returner. So, you know, if they want to get him on the field, maybe that's one thing kind of like what they did with Mikhail Wright early on. Maybe that's a way that they can get him on the field and, you know, show what he's about. If you guys were watching along with us on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, we got some highlights that we have on the screen right now to to kind of help us uh, break down what the Ducks are getting in their latest commit here in Jalil Florence. And, and that's one of the things that I think is, is uh, really appealing about Florence um, is the, the fact that he brings so much versatility to the table, um, you know, c- can move around a little bit in the secondary. I mean, this guy's most most likely looking like a corner, but if you're looking at the situation in Eugene, the, the Ducks do need some help uh, at safety as well. You lose consensus All-American safety, Verone McKinley to the NFL draft. Bennett Williams, thankfully, was able to play in, in the Alamo Bowl, so he's not, you know, just returning from uh, injury on the first game of the year. Uh, against Georgia, so that's good. Jamal Hill, I, I think he had he had a you know a decent season last year, but um, you know not not the best season. And and for me personally, not the season that I was kind of expecting or that I thought he would be capable of after seeing how he wrapped up the 2020 season um, with those two picks against USC in the Pac-12 championship. But you know he's a guy that that is there to to work with, and you know he's a veteran guy, he's an experienced guy. Um, which is obviously going to be really uh, advantageous for a new coaching staff when you're coming into the secondary and, and you know, not, you don't want to just be working with guys that are, are coming in, um, you know, straight out of high school. I think when we talk about some of those guys like Deandre Lenore and Thomas Graham, I think that the situation isn't the exact same 
uh, you know, right now heading into the 22 season. But honestly, it's not all that different. You know, Graham and Lenore were talented guys coming out of high school, but the Ducks didn't have a lot of choices there. And they kind of just got thrown into the fire. So, um, you know, we talked about with Bridges and Manning, the Ducks do have some pieces already in place. And then they get that veteran presence with Christian Gonzalez. But um, with, with kind of the way this uh, class is shaking out, the uh, the Ducks just got Kamari Terrell out of Texas uh, on Friday, heading into the weekend. Um, I've, I've talked to a couple of different people, and even though he's you know kind of listed as a corner, they see some people see him as more of a safety. Um, and then the Ducks also have Jalen Davis Robinson from uh, Waxahachie High School out in Texas still on the board. So that um, was kind of a lot at once, but I think it's it's just cool to to dive into you know some more of that impact and. And, you know, how likely it maybe is that we see him contribute. Uh, and he's also not the only guy, you know, coming out of uh, San Diego for the Ducks in this class. Yeah, Jolo Tucker. I feel like he was a, a huge factor in, you know, Florence's recruitment because they kind of came in one right after the other to Oregon. Um, and then Jolo Tucker ended up signing and Florence was already looking for, um, you know, he had already opened up his recruitment again after that. But I still feel like him being, you know, committed to Oregon, still signing with Oregon. I feel like that that played a role in Florence coming back. Um, and obviously, like, it, it has a lot to do with the coaching staff and, you know, the fit, just if he's a priority there, which I'm glad that he was a priority for this coaching staff because you kind of saw some of the guys who were committed, they kind of, you know, faded out. It seemed like they were, um, you know, going after guys at that position when they already had some people at that position, but it just, it didn't seem like they were a priority, but Florence, it was, I mean, you talk about Dan Lanning when, you know, he called him right after the national championship. Like that's, that's the definition of priority right there. Um, so I'm glad that, you know, he and Tucker get to play together again. Um, you talked about the, the safety fit and I, I was watching his film, watching it now, even I, I see kind of, you know, he's lined up as a corner, but I see this physicality and this toughness of a safety. Like, I feel like he could fit in terms of that. And he's got good size too, 6'1", 6'1 180 pounds. Maybe he could bulk up a little bit if they need him to, and which he probably will. I mean, you know, you don't really stick to the same size when you, you come to, you know, a college program. Usually they bulk up a little bit. Um, but I, I do expect that he'll probably be a corner. Um, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't say he'd be maybe second string, but I, I think you could see him on, a, on an organizational chart week one. Um, you know, and even in the spring, I'm very excited to see what he can do in the spring ball. Um, Cause I think he's a guy that, you know, will get the best out of some of those receivers and, you know, the receivers will get the best out of him. Like he's got a, a really talented group of, of receivers that he can cover um, and get better against. And I think he's physical enough to cover some of those tight ends too. Um, it's really exciting to see that, you know, that play out at Oregon and, uh, I think my favorite thing is actually right here that I was going to mention is the fact that he's so good at punching the ball out. There are a number of times where he punched it out, not just like forcing fumbles, but, you know, a guy would catch the ball and he'd make a play on it after it looked like the, the catch was secured. Like he's very good at locating the ball and punching it out. Um, you know, whether he's coming from behind and trying to make a tackle on the chase down or, you know, when he's kind of fighting, having a hand fight with a receiver, uh, he's very impressive with his hands. And the fact that he's only been playing, football for a couple of years, like two years is, is really impressive. He's a supreme athlete. I think they talked about he, he played basketball early in high school um, and kind of started playing football around his junior year. And so the fact that he only has, you know, about two years, you know, a year plus the COVID year of playing football and he's already got Oregon and USC after him is really, really impressive. And 
I don't think he's hit his ceiling yet at all. Yeah, I want to talk uh, a little bit more, um, you know, during the, this episode of the, the podcast uh, about, you know, some of that impact. Like we're talking a lot about the on-field impact, but recruiting's that game within the game, and and uh, you know, getting a win over USC like this is is really really important and crucial for the Ducks. Um, but yeah, like you know, you, like you were saying, you know, he he is uh, kind of uh, a late bloomer who came onto the scene um, a little bit late, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think is kind of what I was hearing when I was doing some research on him. Um, you know, definitely you see his athleticism, you know, with, with that, uh, with his basketball skills, skills carrying over to his ball skills and, uh, just being able to, to make a ton of plays, you know, you see, like you talked about with him punching the ball out on fumbles, being able to get a lot of yards after he, uh, you know, gets an interception, uh, you know, here and there. So I think that's super valuable. This whole secondary really, um, at least at, at corner that, that the ducks have really has a lot of speed, you know, Jill Tucker, very might well be one of the fastest cornerbacks, one of the fastest defensive backs in this class in the state of California. Obviously, if you're talking about speed, you can't you can't uh, leave out Damani Jackson, who's committed to uh, USC. He's got some serious burners as well. But you talk about Jaleel Tucker, we already knew how just crazy fast he is. You know, coaches that I talk to, that's like the first thing that they hit on when when you ask him about Tucker, um, who's also at Lincoln out in San Diego. And then you have Kamari Terrell, who's a, another track guy. I think the the time that um, I've kind of been able to gather is just from his Twitter bio. I think it's 46.2 seconds in the 400 meters. So um, you're looking at some really high-end speed there as well. And then Florence has a ton of speed. So I think the combination of playmaking skills that all these guys have, they're all uh, willing and capable tacklers if they need to come down and, and lay the boom and run support. And then you have playmaking. So... Uh, when I'm looking at this, uh, you know, kind of blend of, of those skills at cornerback, and then the Ducks still have Trajan Williams in the fold. He's verbally committed to Oregon right now. He was on campus in Eugene for a, a visit um, at the uh, over this weekend. Um, man, I really, really like the the direction that the secondary is headed uh, as far as the guys that the Ducks are slated to bring in in this 22 class. Yeah, it's really young, but I think that with you know the the coaching stuff that they brought in with Lupoy and. And Demetrius Martin, I really like that. Um, you know, I I have a lot of faith in them in terms of developing them. Um, and it's it's going to be tough because you're going to see some guys who have been in positions that they've never been in. But I think there's a ton of potential, ton of talent, ton of athleticism all over. I mean, guys from from last year that committed uh, that I was talking about earlier, those guys have a ton of speed too, ton of athleticism. So it's going to be really fun to watch once those guys get on the field and, and get after it. Um, I'm really looking forward to checking out the spring and, and seeing, you know, who, who comes out on top. Cause there's, there's now a lot of guys in the cornerback room um, that are going to be coming in. So it's going to be really fun to watch who, uh, you know, who works the way up on the, on the board. Yeah. Lots of talent in that uh, defensive backfield for, for the ducks. Um, I think uh, for, for Florence, I'm not sure what his um, enrollment plans are right now. I mean, since he is a track guy, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to stick around and finish out his high school career. Uh, you know, there as well. So just uh, kind of, I guess, a bit of an educated guess here, but I would, I would assume that he's going to be coming in June with, uh, you know, some of the, the regular timeline enrollees. Um, but if they are able to get him on, on campus uh, in the spring, I mean, what a huge bonus that would be, especially at his position. Like we were talking about uh, both he and Tucker, you want to get those guys on campus as soon as you can get them learning the new system, uh, get them around the other corners and, and just get them ready for that college level. But uh, I think let's switch gears a little bit, Dylan, uh, and talk about uh, the impact on the recruiting trail for the Ducks, you know, here in this class. 
Um, you know, adding Jalo Florence now, I think, is is awesome. If you just look at it from a pure timing perspective, uh, you're heading into National Signing Day on Wednesday, um, and you really pick up a lot of momentum, you know, dating back to, to Friday with Kamari Terrell uh, committing out of Texas. Uh, I got a video and a podcast up on up on him. So if you guys want to learn more about Kamari Terrell, definitely check those out. Um, I think that you also have some of the transfers that we want to talk about, but to get him in the fold on Monday before signing day, when you still have some really big targets left on your board, I think that kind of sends a message to these other recruits saying, you know, Hey, I'm a, a big time prospect and I have, I have faith in, you know, the vision of Dan Lanning and uh, the rest of the staff. And you got to give a huge shout out to Demetrius Martin. You know, that dude is a, a huge figure in the Southern California area. Um, and, uh, is, is really, uh, you know, got a, a very strong, established coaching career, coaching resume of working with some top-level guys. So, you know, he's just got to be ecstatic over this news. And then I love what you were talking about with Dan Lanning, uh, you know, giving him a call as he's walking off the field, winning that national championship. Um, it's just a, a really cool story uh, that kind of went into getting this commitment and the, the staff showing up at midnight at the end of the dead period to, uh, you know, visit with him. And uh, you know, they really pulled out all the big guns and, and put that full court press on from from the meet from the uh, the word go. Yeah, and I believe he was um, you know bowling with some of the coaches as well, um, and he was talking about how Dan Lanning was a uh, was the only guy that could match him in bowling. So uh, I feel like just they had that communication that click. Um, you know, you, you talked about the midnight meeting, and then they went out and bowling and had another visit right before he committed. I just felt like you know he just kind of had them up there, um, you know, on his list the whole time. Like, I just felt like Oregon was the front runner. I know I heard that he was very close to signing with USC around early signing period, but I just feel like there's more reasons for him, more benefits for him to go to Oregon. And you talked about the recruiting impact. I think it sends a message to USC specifically that, you know, we know you got this, you know, really good coaching staff. You've got all these transfers. you got these recruits to come back and to flip. But I mean, it's still Oregon. We, we're still this brand. And, you know, you're not just going to come in here and, and take our recruits. You're not just going to come in here and dominate the recruiting trail. You know, we're still here. And I think that's the message that they send, you know, getting a guy from from San Diego who was he took a visit to USC and had them in his final two. So I think this is really impressive. The fact that, you know, they prioritized him from the jump from right as soon as the dead period ended. And, you know, he, they got the last visit. I think that's always important to get the last visit before, you know, his commitment uh, announcement. I think that's always important to, you know, kind of have the last say. I'm sure he's been in communication with USC as well. But I just feel like that's kind of what you're left with. And when you have them to go back off of for that last visit, I think that's, you know, more crucial. And you, it just seems like the the trend nowadays is you see the guy that goes to, you know, whatever his last visit was, you kind of see that that's usually where he ends up. Yeah, that is definitely a, a bit of a trend that we see on the recruiting trail, you know, not a hundred percent and recruiting is by far, is far from a, a perfect science. Um, but getting him back on campus, especially after he had said that um, he was going to be canceling his visits, I think is really big. Um, you know, getting him around these other recruits, uh, and, you know, having all of the other commits, uh, that, you know, in town in this 2022 class, it just, I feel like it's just building more and more and more momentum for the Ducks as, as they head to the end of this 2022 cycle. But uh, yeah, here's a, a perfect kind of a point that I think sums up some of the impact that we see on the recruiting trail. 
Uh, Joseph Bonin, thanks for the comment, man. Thanks for coming into the show and spending some time with us. If you guys are in the live chat, definitely go ahead and let us know your thoughts about Jalil Florence's commitment to Oregon and any other questions that you have on the recruiting trail. Uh, we're planning to go for about an hour or so today. So definitely want to get your guys' input, interact with you guys, and see what uh, what questions are on your mind as we head towards National Signing Day. But yeah, right here, like you see on the screen, uh, Joseph says, want to know in Lane versus Riley. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, it makes a lot of sense because this is a defensive guy, right? Um, you know, uh, I think you, you see Lanning come into Southern California and show that the Ducks still have a, a stronghold in that area. Granted, I mean, we might be looking at a different story if this is an offensive guy, right? You know, you, you got to look at, you know, a lot of these guys from Southern California that, that want to play, uh, you know, with, with some elite offenses, it's going to be hard to go against Lincoln Riley. That's not to say that the Ducks wouldn't have won if that was the case in a recruiting battle like this, but um, you, you can definitely see Lanning establishing a priority uh, and, and, you know, ultimately executing and getting him uh, back on back on board, which is great. And, um, you know, USC, if you kind of just compare what they, they've been doing compared to Oregon, uh, they've just been going crazy in the transfer portal. It seems like every guy that they're getting now is, is coming from the portal. Um, you know, you think back to what their class looked like before Riley, they were just taking, I felt like DB, 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 um, and not a ton of talent in the trenches. So I think it's it's really cool to kind of look at the the context of his commitment. You know, you could like we said uh, with uh, Oregon versus USC, and then just kind of how how uh, Riley is kind of approaching the rebuild. And then you see Landing, who you could argue is just reloading. Yeah, and I think with Lincoln Riley, um, you know, I feel like his approach is we're just going to outscore you. And I feel like USC teams in the past were really like that. So when you when you bring in an offensive minded coach from a program like, you know, Oklahoma, where that's pretty much all they did was outscore you. I feel like he's just kind of bringing that mentality to USC. And of course, they got some really good um, defensive talented guys like Corey Foreman and um, you know, Damani Jackson out there as well. But like you said, there's not so much, um, you know, I don't, I don't think you're going to see a dominant defense from USC. And I think that the defense is, you, you kind of figured it was going to be a, a priority for, for this Oregon recruiting staff. But um, if they can get some, you know, momentum with offensive players, get them over, over USC, because Dave Buley is going to be committing, I believe on Wednesday, and he's got Oregon and USC in his top three, along with Miami. That would be another big one. Um, and, you know, I'm sure there'll be plenty more to come with Oregon and USC because, you know, the West Coast, it's going to be a battle between them um, on the recruiting trail and on the field, probably for as long as Lanning and Lincoln Riley are the coaches there. Let's stay there for a second and talk about Dave Uly, right? You know, he, he gets on campus uh, this weekend. The Ducks get him on campus uh, for that last visit weekend. You talk about the three finalists, Oregon, USC and Miami. Um, the offensive line picture for the Ducks, uh, I think, looks, um, you know, I wouldn't say discouraging, but compared to what it was like before Cristobal left, you know, you're like, okay, they definitely got some work to do. Uh, right now, the Ducks have two commitments in the 2022 class. You look at Michael Wooten uh, out of uh, Sierra Canyon out there in Southern California, and then you look at Kavika Rogers uh, out of Kaapa in Hawaii, and, um, you know, Yuli would be a huge addition uh, for, for the Ducks, um, and he was most recently, uh, before he got to Oregon, he was out in Miami for a visit, and then it was a, played in the Poly Bowl. I don't know. I mean, getting him, I think getting him on campus is obviously going to be crucial to kind of where the, the Ducks ultimately land 
uh, with with him and his recruitment, you know, getting him back on campus around a lot of those familiar faces, you know, like, hey, this, this, this was your family, you know, this is, these were the guys that you were here committed with, getting them to have some one-on-one time with Adrian Clem, the new offensive line coach, and Dan Lanning is, is obviously a big benefit as well, but I don't know. I, I, I think I wanted, I mean, it'd be nice to try to talk to him before uh, he makes his commitment to kind of see where he's at. But I feel like I kind of am, am leaning towards Miami just because Cristobal and Mirabal were his lead recruiters here. You can't count them out for any offensive lineman, but you've talked to him, you know, multiple times uh, before he committed to Oregon and we're kind of our lead insider there. So I'm curious if you agree with that or if you have any kind of differing opinions. When he first decommitted from Oregon, my mind went to USC, but also that was before Miami, you know, jumped into the picture. Um, and I wasn't surprised that they did. I mean, the reason that he told me that he committed to to Oregon was because of Alex Mirabal and Mario Cristobal. And he said he wanted to play for, you know, an offensive line coach that could develop him and, and take him to the NFL to the next level. And, um, you know, you've seen him do that before. And Penny Sewell was a prime example. And Dave Uly said that, you know, he wanted to be the next Penny Sewell. He was all about that. Um, and so I, I know he enjoyed USC very much as well. He actually called me from his visit there and he absolutely loved it. Um, and it sounds like he, you know, had a blast in Miami too, and he would be back with, um, you know, his coaches that brought him to Oregon. Um, and so I, I feel like Oregon, I'm going to kind of backtrack of what I just said about, you know, taking that last visit and, um, you know, a lot of times guys commit there, but I'm not, I'm not super confident that Dave Uly will be back in Oregon gear. Um, I would probably say it's closer to a USC versus Miami decision because I know that he told me a couple of times that his one of his top priorities as well was, you know, the proximity with his family and trying to be close and have his family go to games and support him. And Oregon was a great fit, you know, being from Puyallup, Washington, it's only, you know, about a four or five hour drive uh, to Eugene, um, give or take a couple hours with traffic. Um but I mean, you're talking about Miami that's 3,300 miles away. USC is, you know, closer, but still pretty far. So I would probably, if I had to pick right now, I'd go USC. I'd stick with what I thought after he decommitted. Um, you know, I'd be really surprised if he, he ended up going back to Oregon. But I feel like this trip will, um, you know, this recent trip that he just took this weekend will help because he got to talk to, you know, some of those other recruits, guys that he talked to at the Polynesian Bowl, like Ben Roberts and you know, Kawika Rogers, I have a feeling that that could have helped as well. Um, and of course, you got to see Roberts and Eugene this weekend as well. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're a little bit closer than I think they are. But I, I would probably guess that it's between USC and Miami right now. Another thing from the weekend is a lot of these recruits that were on campus got to go to the basketball game. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that that uh, was a huge win for the Ducks. Just beat the heck out of Oregon State. That was one of the best atmospheres I've seen at Matthew Knight Arena this whole season uh, from covering games. So just another good, uh, you know, aspect of the visit that I think can can really help. Just you know, seeing that you know, football, basketball, whatever it is, you know, Eugene and Duck fans are are one hundred percent behind this school, um, which I think is something that you obviously want to see. Uh, before we talk about some more recruiting stuff, uh, I do want to get some questions and comments here, Dylan. Uh, just because we were just talking about uh, you know Lincoln Riley and USC. Wanted to get uh, Brendan's uh, comment up here. Riley was the same at Oklahoma, and honestly, his approach wasn't hugely successful when you look at the outcome of each season. Yeah, I think I think that uh, you know Riley obviously was pretty successful at Oklahoma, but you know having uh, you know a, a lackluster defense or just a defense that wasn't you know capable of stopping these high power offenses really hurt. Um, and you know losing the battle at the line of scrimmage hurt. Um, 
but he's going to have some consistency and continuity when with uh, you know Alex Grinch coming over to to coach up that defense for him in USC. So um, I think that that will probably I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the ultimate you know factors or uh, you know what we look at to determine a successful season for for USC next year is is how do they look in the trenches because they were pretty pretty lackluster there uh, last season and I think that's probably where they have you know some of the most room to grow. Yeah, and I think with those some of those Oklahoma teams, like like the question was talking about, um, you know, they they have proof of developing NFL players on defense, um, but it's it's always an issue with like the unit and just you know some of their opponents. Um, you know, you see guys have really good individual seasons, and then you know as a unit they just give up tons and tons of yards, tons of points. Um, and it seemed like they were getting a little bit better, like after they got, you know, run out of the stadium by LSU in the playoff. It seemed like each year they were kind of getting a little bit closer, not really to like a dominant defense, um, but just, you know, something that was, you know, a, a defense worth watching, I guess, to where you knew it wasn't going to be a track meet every weekend. Um, so I, I think it's going to be kind of tough for USC out of the gate in terms of um, defending because you're going to see a lot of new players on that defense. You know, there was a lot of movement with the transfer portal, um, you know, guys entering the NFL draft. Uh, it's, it's just going to be a really young new defense. Um, it had transfers coming in as well, a couple. Um, so I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what their mindset is in terms of, um, you know, recruiting on that end um, and what guys they can land on defense. Cause you know, they're going to get the, the playmakers. They've already got a ton of them. It's, it's unfair almost how many that they've gotten through the transfer portal and through, you know, high school ranks. So um, I want to see if they can actually build a defense that, you know, people want to come to and, you know, they know that they can go to the NFL and as, you know, win as a unit too. No doubt. Yeah. We got to keep an eye on, on who they're able to bring in uh, on, on defense as well. Um, had another question I wanted to get to coming from Eric. Eric said, Eric asked, what do you guys expect our offense to look like next year? Uh, and then I think he had a, a follow-up comment Um just talking about, you know, like looking like personnel grouping or running and passing, getting the tight ends involved, what kind of deal we maybe are, are expecting there. Um, I, I definitely want to learn more about, you know, Kenny Dillingham's offenses at Florida State. I'll admit I haven't done uh, a ton of research in that regard, but I think uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we see Oregon definitely remain a, a run heavy team, run first team. But at the same time, I think if I'm on this new staff, I can't help but look at last season and just say, wow, look at how much was left to be desired through the passing game. Look at all these elite weapons that we honestly didn't use enough. And um, like I mentioned in, in one of Eric's uh, comments here, talking about getting the tight ends involved, I think that that was something that was a, a focal point early. And then it kind of tapered out as the year uh, went on. Is, is something that you and I have talked about uh, before, Dylan. So definitely want to see the tight ends get more involved, especially with all the talent that they have there. Um, as far as the the running back and quarterback, we can talk about that maybe a little bit. Um, you know, Byron Carwell is in a great spot to, uh, you know, kind of be the face of that backfield. And then Seven McGee is another guy you have to look at depending on where they want to use him. They definitely have a little bit of a, a more need, I think, uh, at wide receiver. Um, so maybe we see him bounce back and forth. But just to bring this full circle with recruiting, another huge name that you got to keep an eye on is Jordan James out of uh, Oakland High School in Tennessee. He's a 2022 recruit. Uh, recently placed Oregon in his top three, along with Florida and Georgia. He's still committed to Georgia, but did not sign during the early signing period. He was on campus for a visit two weeks ago, uh, and uh, Lachlan went to visit him in a home. So you got to think that the Ducks are probably in the driver's seat there. 
and uh, getting him in the fold with Jarek Broussard committing to Michigan State after visiting Oregon um, would definitely be a big boost for the outlook of this offense heading into 2022. I think going back to the question, I would say that I think their aim, just based on what I've heard so far, is to be, um, you know, in kind of a blanket statement, more explosive. I know Dan Lanning has used that a couple of times, um, but I think that they they have options, right? They, they don't have Travis Dye and CJ Verdell anymore, but there are still some young guys who, you know, if you give them an opportunity, I would bet that they're that they're going to take advantage of it. And I think Cardwell is, you know, the number one guy. So I think they can be a run first offense, but I do think I would rather see them, you know, kind of throw it out through the air a little bit, just because of some of the teams that you're going up against in the Pac-12. I think, you know, I, I would probably assume that Washington is going to be another aired out team again. Um, I, I would say Washington State, you, you already know they're probably going to be an aired out team. Max Borg, he's gone. So um, Arizona, probably going to be a, an aired out team. So I just feel like that would be, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be like a complete air raid offense, but I would expect it to be um, probably favoring a, a pass more, um, you know, passing the ball more than running the ball more. Um, and I, I, yeah, I agree with the tight ends uh, sentiment. I think they absolutely need to get the tight ends more involved. Um, I believe I read that Spencer Webb was on a Twitter spaces the other day and he was talking about how um, Kenny Dillingham wasn't going to just um, copy over an offense that he had from Florida state or from um, Auburn under Gus Malzahn or, or Mike Norvell. Like he, he wants to utilize what he has to their full potential. Um, a lot of the offensive playmakers, he wants to utilize their strengths uh, was the key phrase that I saw. So hopefully we get to see a little bit of that because there's, tons of talent that you know like you said was was left on the field a little bit yeah hopefully we can i'm sure that a lot of duck fans want to want to see some more creativity and and uh you know inventive kind of play calling and you know you you look at at what happened with, with joe moorhead last year you know comes to eugene uh you know in heading into the 2020 season as one of the more renowned play callers in all of college football and then we only saw like just little glimpses and then, you know, in the critical situations, we, we just saw some, some really stale play calling and, and that kind of leads, uh, you know, lends people to believe that Mario Cristobal was, you know, just really controlling over what was happening on offense. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later because he had a, he was kind of part of a headline that I think a lot of duck fans are, are going to enjoy talking about. So uh, stay tuned to, to see what we talk about there. But um, staying on the topic of offense, got a, another question here from, from Hoshi Lee. Uh, thanks for the question. Do you see Ty Thompson uh, starting this year or Bo Nix was the question. Um, and I think this is, you know, obviously it's it's something that a lot of people want to talk about. You look at the quarterback position, it's the most important position on the field. Uh, you know, one that the Ducks haven't quote unquote hit on since uh, Justin Herbert. And I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. That was really just lucking out. He, he wasn't on their radar until super late in the process. And he wasn't really, uh, re you know, highly recruited. Uh, you know, you bring in Tyler Shuck, Anthony Brown didn't really go that well. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Um, but we see another transfer come in, uh, in Bo Nix. And I think that a lot of fans kind of got rubbed the wrong way by that. Um, just because you, we've, we've seen in Eugene, uh, you know, not year after year, but we've seen a lot of transfers come into this program and it feels like for whatever reason, uh, we're not getting a lot of young quarterbacks that that get the opportunity to to go out there and, and really show what they've got. Um, you know, we saw Ty, Ty Thompson in limited action last year. Um, you know, there we 
hear good things about them all the time at practice. But when it comes time when they're getting their butts kicked, and it's like, okay, there's nothing to gain from leaving, leaving Brown in here. Why isn't Ty Thompson getting the, the start or getting some some play time? And uh, I think that I don't really know what it is. You just you got to give the young guys a shot at some point. But I also understand if you're the staff bringing in another quarterback. You know, you lose Tanner Bailey to uh to ultimately who ultimately ends up at South Carolina after Cristobal's departure makes a lot of sense. I think you have to bring in a quarterback again. Um and a transfer quarterback makes sense, but it's yeah, there's just a lot of moving parts here and and I I am firmly of the belief that you you got to give one of the young guys a shot, but I think they should also, you know, earn it and you got to have an open competition. So this is definitely something that has a lot a lot of uh you know points of discussion. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, you kind of changed your your tune just a little bit there from what we were talking about before, um, when we were talking about Bo Nix. Um, you know, I think we had a video on Bo Nix coming to Oregon. I remember you were, um, you kind of said the same thing about the experience and I was more on the side of developing what you already have. Um, I've, I've also kind of been a little bit more split as well, just because you look at the schedule that Oregon's got, especially the non-conference Georgia in a neutral game, not a neutral game. Um, they have BYU as well. That's not a gimme. Um, and the PAC 12 schedule, I think their PAC 12 road schedule is, is just as tough, if not tougher than it was last season. Um, so I, I think that having experience, especially early when you go against a team like Georgia and you go against a team like BYU early on, which I expect BYU to be reloaded again. Um, I, I think it's safe to have an experienced quarterback an experienced starting quarterback um, be plugged in there. Could, was Bo Nix the best option? No, I don't think so. But I do think that it's kind of, I hate to say it, but it's kind of a safe bet for a guy that's gone up against elite defenses, elite coaches, you know, his SEC starter for three years, most of three years. So I'd say that that, that was kind of safe. But at the same time, this coaching staff has kind of made it a point, Dan Lanning specifically, about taking risks and, you know, being explosive and just developing the guys that we have. It starts with the guys that we have. 
and then they went out and got Bo Nix. I just thought that was kind of just kind of an interesting uh, turn of events. But I I really like Ty Thompson. I really like Jay Butterfield. I think that when fans were talking about how Anthony Brown was still playing and they weren't putting in Ty Thompson and Butterfield and Ashford, it was like, well, they must not be that good. I just I don't believe that. I really have never believed that. I think there's you know they're plenty talented. I think they're ready. I just think that there was just this faith toward experience in Anthony Brown that, you know, kind of held the quarterbacks back and we didn't get to see them as much as we probably should have. Because I think having Ty Thompson start that Alamo Bowl, probably I would say would have put him in the driver's seat to be the starter against Georgia in week one. And I think the coaching staff, the new coaching staff would have had a little bit more faith seeing a full game's work of Ty Thompson against you know, a program like Oklahoma on a stage like that. That's why I wanted him there so bad. But I feel like him not getting any starts, any, you know, real experience, you know, in a, in a close game. And, you know, when things are on the line, I, I feel like that's why they, you know, went to the portal. But I, I think regardless of whether they started Thompson or Butterfield, um, I, I still think another quarterback was coming. I just didn't think it was going to be a guy that, you know, would probably be a, a guaranteed starter, like most people were saying, because of Kenny Dillingham's connection with him and the fact that he, you know, helped him win the the SEC Freshman of the Year, and they beat Alabama that year, and it looked like he was going to be the next great Auburn quarterback. Um, I, I just don't know if I would give it to him right away, even though it it seems like on paper he's he's guaranteed to be the starter. I think Ty Thompson is is determined because of that. I think that kind of clicked in his mind, like, okay, I got to work even harder now. It's not just my job because I've been here and I'm, you know, this five star. I'm this. I'm that. Like, I've got to go earn it, and I, I think he's got a great chance to do that. Yeah, I mean, there and there's something I kind of wanted to circle back on with what you were talking about. Um, so we talked about, uh, you know, I think Anthony Brown starting and bringing in Bo Nix are similar in that they were the safe option, right? I, we, I think we agree that that you want to have uh, that it made sense for another quarterback to come in. Um, yeah. You know, you don't want to go into to the next season with with just two quarter. Well, at the time, Robbie Ashford was still here, so it would have been three quarterbacks, but they all had virtually no experience. So I think that just does, you don't want to put yourself in that situation. And I also agree, kind of how the optics look with, with bringing Bo Nixon after his relationships uh, relationship with Kenny Dillingham, um, and. I'm right there with, with the fans that, that want uh, an open competition. You know, I don't, I would never want a quarterback to win just because of previous connections. And I can understand why there would be concerned that that could happen after seeing what Cristobal did and how much of a strangle, let's just call it what it was, a strangle he had on the offense. So I think that's great. But another, the point I wanted to go back on Dylan was I think development is such an interesting word. I've had, uh, especially for quarterbacks, I've had uh, this conversation, you know, with some of my housemates, um, you know, J- Jacob Archer in particular. Um, it, and it's really, I think, kind of opened my eyes a little bit. I mean, you want to be able to develop a quarterback and, and bring someone in who is going to, um, you know, start, I guess, you know, maybe you redshirt him a year and then you, uh, and then after that, you know, they pick up and they play for three years. But at the end of the day, you just need uh, a game-changing quarterback, a difference maker at quarterback, whether it be from the prep ranks or the transfer portal. You just need to get a, a great quarterback out there, um, whether it's for a year or, or multiple years. Sure, from a roster standpoint, bringing in a prep guy makes a lot of sense because you get some more longevity out of that. But I think a majority of this Oregon roster is really in win-now mode. So I think for, when you think about that, I think a, a move like Bonex makes sense. But all that said, I think if, if – 
Um, you know, if Ty Thompson, uh, you know, doesn't get the job, at, isn't starting at some point this season, then, I mean, it kind of, I'm not saying I want to question his ability at all, but it, you kind of figure that this is the time to, to make it happen because the job should be as open as it's ever been when it, and it really wasn't open last year. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that, you know, we're, you're talking about the win now, and I definitely think that's where they are and should be. But I feel like if you if you think about, you know, we need an experienced quarterback to win now. I, I feel like you're just going to keep recycling rental quarterbacks every couple of years through the transfer portal, and you're never going to, you know, develop a guy that you recruit from the high school ranks. And that kind of scares me just because you've seen what they've done with Marcus Mariota, where he redshirted 2011 um, and then came in 2012 and was was the day one starter. Um, of course, he wasn't going up against Georgia and BYU in the first couple of weeks. It was like Arkansas State and Nichols State or whatever it may have been. Um, and then Justin Herbert, he wasn't a day one starter either. You know, it was, I believe that was the Dakota Prukop year. Try not to remember that year as much, but um, I think that was Dakota Prukop. And then he struggled and then they played Justin Herbert and they get clobbered, but he still, they still go back to him. I feel like they need to kind of have a mentality of, taking a risk well, like, you know, having faith in a guy like, like Ty Thompson or Jay Butterfield. Um, I know I've mentioned Ty Thompson more so, but um, I think Jay Butterfield is um, a really good option as well. So it does kind of scare me that they just want to prioritize an experienced quarterback when they just keep bringing in these one, two year rentals and you have this talent like Ty Thompson and like Jay Butterfield, where it's like, I, I just, I don't really have this faith that we're going to see them, um, you know, really get the opportunity that they deserve. Cause I know it's really scary to think about someone that's never started a game has only played, I believe three games in Ty Thompson and someone that's only played one or two in Jay Butterfield um, against Georgia on a national, you know, a national television game and um, you know, a, a huge NFL stadium on uh, prime time in week one, like that's, that's really scary. I, I, I get that, but um, I think you just have to take a risk, but I would say that if I had to bet, I think it's going to be Bo Nix um, week one. It's going to be something that we're going to follow obviously all throughout spring football and, and fall camp. Cause we're not going to have our answer, you know, probably until that week leading up to, uh, to Georgia, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a big, uh, I kind of want to say paradigm, but I have no idea if I'm using that right. <laughs> it's, but it's like what you were saying, right? It's like, do you, do you take the safe option? You know, hypothetically, let's consider that, you know, Anthony Brown was the safe option. Bo Nix could be the safe option because he's more experienced and, you know, risk potentially limiting yourself uh, next season. Or do you lean into that, you know, uh, you know, the unknown with, with a younger guy and, you know, maybe this one season isn't as great as you wanted it to be, but, you know, having that season of experience sets you up for success down the road and have, and, you know, maybe hypothetically, you know, being better prepared in, in 2023 to, you know, win some of those big games. So it's, it's something that I'm sure has been on, you know, coaching staff's minds for a while, but at some point, you know, Saban did it at halftime in the biggest game of the year. And I feel like that's not the the most fair comparison, right? You know, you're talking about national championships, which Oregon hasn't been to since 2015 versus, you know, just, uh, regular season games or the Pac-12 title, but I think all Oregon fans will agree that they don't want the Pac-12 title or the Rose Bowl to, to be that big game that they finally find themselves in. They want it through the national championship. So obviously, you know, 
hitting on a quarterback and and making sure you have a guy that you can probably get multiple seasons out of is going to be really crucial in answering this question of, you know, what's going on at quarterback with the Ducks over these past couple of years and moving forward. And then it's probably worth mentioning here, since we're talking about some longevity, uh, I think Nick's does have two years of eligibility left yeah. to play because of the pandemic. Um, but I think if the Ducks are able to get the court, one of the quarterback recruits that they're going after, you know, had, had a five-star in camp on campus, uh, you know, this past weekend. And, um, oh man, I hope I say it right. Nico uh, Iam Maliava from Warren High School in Downey, California. If you can get a guy like that, then, you know, hopefully you're getting quarterbacks that are more and more capable of contributing early. Want to get to a, a new, uh, you know, topic here as we kind of approach an hour, but wanted to kind of wrap up the quarterback discussion with, with your thoughts. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm of the belief that, you know, you have to take a risk sometimes to, to be a winner, to, you know, um, like I don't think you've ever seen a national champion be one that takes safe bets. And so I, I think that and, and I'm not just talking specifically about quarterbacks like you can talk about, um, you know, Georgia winning with a guy who, you know, was a former walk on like that's that's a risk right there is starting a guy who is a former walk on. Um, you know, not everybody can is just going to win with a Heisman winning quarterback, um, you know, so and, and there's risks at starting a true freshman or offensive line or, um, you know, starting like even starting a guy like Byron Cardwell as as you're starting running back. Um, you know, he's he's never been the full time starter that that's a risk. Um, but it, of course, it looks like he has the most experience out of anybody back there. So it, it's kind of a safe bet. Maybe that's a bad example. Um, but I feel like it, when you want to be a winner, um, you, you have to take risks. And I, I think that's what this Oregon team should should do to get there. And I, I'm sure that there's a lot of guys in this coaching staff that realize that just because of, you know, that national championship experience with with Lanning and LePoy. Um, you know, th- th- I think those guys understand that. Yeah, so we'll we'll it's it's that I don't want to say a hurdle, but like that's going to be one of the biggest uh, points that I think this new staff is is ultimately graded and, and judged on is, you know, how do you manage the quarterback situation? Um, they get a familiar face with, with Bo Nixon and a guy who's played some football. So um, it's it's going to be something to follow for sure. And I'm sure we'll be talking about it throughout the offseason. But um, we kind of got on this just based off of, you know, some of the questions that we were in comments that we were getting in the live chat. So, um, you know, as always, want to let you guys kind of uh, guide the discussion here uh, in these live shows. But the Ducks did add another commitment over the weekend um, about um, I'm sorry. They did add another commitment over the weekend in uh, Nebraska transfer defensive lineman Jordan Riley. Um, he comes to Oregon after two seasons at Nebraska, where he played under new defensive line coach Tony Tuoti. Um, and, uh, this is a, I, on, off the top, I think this is a great addition for the ducks just because you're, you're adding more beef up front in the trenches. Um, you know, if I'm, if I'm Dan Lanny, maybe he's looking at the, the roster and saying, I like what they have here, but I want to add more depth there. And I want to have some more big bodies that are kind of like what I was working with at Georgia and six, six, three, 10 definitely has a nice ring to it. Yeah. I mean, think about the last guy that was uh, named Jordan that played defensive line for Oregon. That was a, that was a pretty good deal. Um, yeah. I think defensive line was one of those things where you knew it was going to be some guys who kind of just had that one year, that full year of experience last year. Um, you, you know, you lose Kayvon, um, you know, it, it's hard to replace him, but they still have a lot of guys in the middle that they can build around, but it seems like they, they really brought um, an emphasis on, 
like you said, kind of big bodies in the middle. Ben Roberts, Sir Mel's. Um, I know those guys were the last coaching staff, but um, you know Sam Taimani and now Jordan Riley. Like I think that's just been a, a really a really big emphasis that I wasn't necessarily expecting um, them to keep going back on because I, I thought Ben Roberts and Sir Mel's. I figured that kind of would have rounded it out a little bit just from a defensive line, defensive tackle perspective. But they've added, you know, a former starter in Sam Taimani from Washington. Jordan Riley was not as much a starter at Nebraska. I think I read he played 10 games last year and registered a couple of tackles, but I don't think he was a starter. But he's a former JUCO transfer, started, I believe, at North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken, a few years ago. So he's, you know, he's been around a number of programs. I think his first year was 2017. So um, an older guy, an experienced guy, but you know, having that experience and to go along with Tony Tuioti, um, the defensive line coach, that's, I think that's only going to help. Yeah. Just to, to confirm what you were talking about, I think he's from North Carolina originally, like that's where he was born. And then he played at uh, Garden City Community College in Kansas uh, before ultimately getting out to Nebraska and then coming to Oregon. But um, I think this addition makes a lot of sense because uh, the defensive line was definitely an area that I think needed some more depth. Uh, I don't think this solves the need for an edge rusher, but that's not necessarily a guy you're going to find in the transfer portal. Um, you know, the, the Ducks did offer um, former Georgia Tech defensive lineman uh, Jared Ivey, who I think maybe is a little bit more uh, of that uh, edge rusher kind of build. I'm trying to look him up right now because it was someone that, um, you know, is, is getting on, is on Oregon's radar now. Um, let me see here, though. I'm trying to... Trying to see kind of what is going on here. It looks, oh, okay, wow. Um, 247 is reporting that he committed to Ole Miss, so maybe I just missed that. Um, let me see, hold on. Because uh, that would obviously mean he's off Oregon's board. But when I looked him up, uh, it said that he was committed to, to Ole Miss. So maybe one of us can check that while we're, while we're talking. But um, I, I do think it just makes a lot of sense for, for the Ducks to add in the trenches because if you don't, if you can't get uh, an edge rusher, you can at least still get some, some really big bodies up there to, to stop the run. Uh, I think that was an area that the ducks were maybe not the best at early in the season. And then they just kind of gradually got better um, and, and were able to ultimately turn that around. But I like the depth uh, up front, you know, with, with Riley and then Taimani is uh, listed at a six, two, three thirty. So definitely some some huge bodies to to add into the fold, and you got Ben Roberts and Sir Mel's as well. So um, the, that twenty two class and all on the defensive line is definitely looking real solid, and, and all those guys are immediately eligible to contribute this year. Absolutely, yeah. There's a ton of bodies, ton of huge bodies. Um, I didn't feel like they had as many to kind of play around with, but there's still guys like you know Keanu Williams, Christian Williams, Keon Ware Hudson, Popo, um, you know Brandon Dorless. There's so many guys now that they can. Have So I'm curious to see how much guys like Taimani and Riley play. I wouldn't expect Riley to be um, an immediate contributor. One of the first guys off the bench, maybe. I'd say Taimani would be kind of that first guy off the bench just because he has that um, starting experience at UW um, on some really good defenses. But I think it's just nice to add depth and to have huge guys that you can um, you can go to off the bench. But, yeah, I agree with your point that, you know, stopping the run was um, – I wouldn't call it a strength uh, from last year, but I, I do think that it was something that they were significantly better at from, from the 2020 season. I think that's really safe to say. All right. So just following up on what we uh, said last, um, 
let's see. Uh, so it looks, I'm looking at our uh, um, old Miss site, uh, Grove Report with, with Sports Illustrated. Um, so there were reports uh, today that um, from on three's Matt Zenitz and then Bruce Feldman reported that Georgia Tech defensive lineman Jared Ivey is expected to enroll at Ole Miss to start the week. Um, and then you also think about Ole Miss uh, making some big additions with former USC quarterback Jackson Dart committing and Michael Trigg, a former tight end from USC. That's a, a huge duo to add, uh, especially when you think about Ole Miss losing uh, Matt Corral. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to make sure that we circled back on that and, and uh, kind of clarify where things are. So it looks like Ivy is going to be going to uh, the SEC if, from these reports if he does end up uh, playing at Ole Miss. But um there was another transfer addition that we have to make sure we give a shout out to and talk about. Uh, Oregon added a commitment from Andrew Boyle, a former Washington State kicker, over the weekend. And um, this was a little bit interesting because I think, you know, Henry Cattleman transfers out and uh, Camden Lewis had, had a really solid season, definitely his best season as a duck. Um, so I, I don't know if um, this is a scholarship guy that they're taking or a preferred walk on. I need to do a little more digging on that, but um, I guess you just want to keep adding, you know, some guys, uh, you know, looking down the line. Well, I think that his power is something that we've un we have not seen uh, from Oregon kickers, really. I mean, he was shooting some videos from Washington State's practice field, kicking 69, 70, 72 yard field goals. Um, so it just, it, I feel like he's one of those guys that you can't really pass on. That doesn't mean that he's going to be the next Justin Tucker, the next Adam Vinatieri, um, you know, a guy that can kick that far, but you know, a guy with that power at the college level is crazy. Um, so I, I feel like he's just one of those guys that you see and um, you know, you, you just want to take a, take a shot at him. But in terms of his experience, I think I read, he only was like a kickoff specialist. I think he was only on kickoffs. He didn't do any punts or any extra points, any field goals for, for Washington state. So um, I believe Camden Lewis has probably got the job again, um, but there's now a, a need at the backup kicker that Henry Cattleman transferred to to Colorado State. So maybe that's what that was about. That would make a lot of sense, Dylan. I, I think another area that that coaches, um, you know, obviously have to to manage is is you know the roster roster management. How well is a, a is a coach? How skilled is a coach rather at you know identifying those needs? and identifying guys that can help fill those needs and then landing them. You know, it's not just a, a super quick process, you know, it's not a bang, bang deal. Um, but maybe I could see that becoming, you know, a, a little bit of an underrated move, you know, next season. Look, if, you know, if uh, Lewis isn't doing well for whatever reason, you have another guy that you can turn to now. Um, and, and I think that special teams is going to be an area that uh, the Ducks are definitely looking to improve in. Um, you know, Joe, Joe Lorig comes in, I believe, as the new special teams coordinator. Um, I think the Ducks were really, really lacking uh, on you know the, the kickoff um, kickoff department last year. You know, we had a couple of decent returns that we saw from from Mike Pittman, and he's obviously not here anymore. Um, but you know, to have a guy like Mikel Wright uh, back in you know fielding kicks, and I feel like there were only a handful of good returns. I think that's going to be somewhere that they really need to improve on. And, uh, you know, Tom Sneed, I think, one of the better punters in the Pac-12. So um, we got to give the special teams some love because, you know, it's a big part of the game. Um, you know, you you know all too well, this is so p petty of me, but you oh, know geez. all too well as a Packers fan when my Niners Damn. blocked that kickoff, <laughs> that uh, field goal, that um, it's, it's a legitimately important part of the game. And if you're playing those close games, um, you know, maybe a, a 
special teams play will be the difference between a win and a loss. Way to drag me through the mud. Well, <laughs> wait, we were, we were rolling here. I guess I, uh, I won't, I'll take the high road and I won't comment on your 49ers. No, go um, for it. I'm, I'm open for it. I'm still sad. I'm still mad at Jimmy. <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I'll take the high road here, but I do acknowledge that special teams is, is very important. Not just field goals, not just returns. It's all of it. It's the gunners. It's, you know, blocking kicks, having your kicks blocked that, you know, that's a big part of everything. So, um, and I know Will Hutchinson at the end of the year was, was kicking off, I think in the Alamo bowl and maybe even the, Pac-12 championship. I don't remember, but um, I know they put him out there to, to do some kickoffs. So um, maybe that's where they kind of see Boyle, um, see his role, but he's obviously got a boot. I think they could use him as a, as a field goal kicker. Um, I think he was listed as a punter too on Washington state's website on their roster. So um, he's a guy that can do it all, no matter what you want him to do, he can kick balls. That's uh, that's, that's what he does. And he's very, very good at it. So I think a guy of, of that caliber, you, you can't really pass on them, like I said. Absolutely, man. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to wind down this episode of the pod. We got a couple more things to hit on. Um, you know, one of the biggest visitors from this past weekend was a uh, five-star defensive end, Mateo Uyunglele. Uh, a lot of people will recognize that last name, which I honestly feel like I'm kind of like really, really comfortable saying now. Like I'm really <laughs> pretty nice with, with that name. Uh, you know, he, his brother obviously being DJ Uyunglele, the Clemson quarterback. <clears throat> Um, I really think, you know, after talking to him, I went out to St. John Bosco over the summer and was able to, to meet him and then watch him in person at a practice. Uh, he's taken a lot of really uh, visits to a lot of really good schools. He visited USC on Saturday, then flew out to Eugene on Saturday night uh, to spend Sunday with the Ducks. I kind of thought this the Ducks were, I still think it's probably the case that the Ducks could be on the outside looking in on his recruitment, just seeing how, you know, you could see, oh, well, all the people wanted to say he's going to follow his brother to Clemson. But he's taken visits to you know really powerful and elite uh, SEC programs in Ohio State. So the the fact that Dan Lanning got him and then Nico, the five star quarterback in twenty three, Dante Moore out of Detroit, another five star quarterback in twenty three, got those guys on campus. The fact that they did all of that while still having some really really important twenty twenty two visitors is is just crazy. Like it's just another example, I think, or maybe no, yeah, I think it's just another example of of how. Uh, you know, how much momentum is building for, for Lanning and this Oregon team in, in 2022 and beyond, and, and just how seriously uh, Lanning's taken the, you know, his approach to recruiting. And they had time to bring in T Grizzly for a visit too. I thought that oh, was yeah. dope. <laughs> um, yeah, I think 2023, those edge rushers, uh, there's loads of talent at edge rushers that they've been looking at. And I know you're very familiar with Mateo. Um, you know, and I, I love Jaden Wayne. He's a Washington guy. That's another guy that, um, you know, he visited a few weeks ago, I believe. So I, I think prioritizing, like we were talking about, the edge rushers um, probably would have been nicer to have it for 2022. But uh, you definitely want some of those guys in, in 23 from the from the West Coast. That would be huge. Yeah. And then just a, uh, another question that got asked here from John Adams, how's wide receiver looking? Any news on Coda? I don't think there's any news on Coda right now that, that I'm aware of. Um, but wide receiver is definitely a position in need for the Ducks. Um, they've been making a lot of offers in 23 and beyond, but I don't think I've really seen too many wide receivers offered. The only person I can think of really is Arliss Boardingham, who's kind of a wide receiver tight end hybrid flex kind of a deal. Um, so I think he's someone to, to keep an eye on. The Ducks are in a, uh, you know, a, a 1v1 battle, mano-a-mano uh, battle against Florida uh, for, for him. He was a, a big visitor on campus. 
this past weekend. So like we kind of talked about with Florence, uh, who was the main topic uh, at the top of the video, um, the Ducks were able to get the last impression, which I think is really crucial in a lot of these recruitments. So I think really keeping the guys on the roster that are currently here at wide receiver is going to be where the Ducks can, can do, you know, the most effective uh, um, work at the position, you know, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton flashed a lot last year. And then Chris Hudson played really well. Uh, Isaiah Croker came on at the end. Uh, definitely more of a veteran guy. Um, oh, because we're talking about wide receivers, I, I wanted to make sure we talked about this because I suggested it earlier. Uh, so that's kind of the latest that I'm hearing, Dylan. I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to add about that. But I wanted to talk about Brian McClendon leaving Miami to go to Georgia because I think that'll be another headline that Duck fans will, will uh, enjoy. Yeah, just wrapping up on Coda, I had a feeling that they were probably going to offer him. I don't I don't have any inside information on that, but – you know, a lot of Ducks fans will know that his dad played defensive back for the Ducks. Um, you know, and Chase is a is a Medford guy, South Medford High School guy. So um, you have to think that he's they're probably on his case just because we've seen that Oregon, this staff was looking at veteran receivers in the transfer portal because they offered Jacob Cowling from UT, uh, UTEP. Um, and I'm sure that they had tabs on Brendan Rice from Colorado, too. So I think it'd be a nice addition if they if they go after him. But I haven't heard anything specific but yeah bmac that's uh that was wild you want to you want to start us off because i know you were amped up about that yeah i mean so that was just it's just wild to see because you know a lot of people sometimes will post stories about former oregon coaches going somewhere or players and they're like well it's not an oregon focus anymore like we don't care but yeah. i think with with how people a lot of people were up in arms about cristobal's departure and then you know multiple oregon staffers followed him to miami uh, you look at Joe Salavea, Alex Mirabal, uh, to name a few, Aaron Feld, and then Brian McClendon followed uh, followed him to Miami. The The Hurricanes got a commitment from a 2023 wide receiver, I think it was just two days ago, who was a local guy, and then now Brian McClendon uh, gets announced as the new wide receiver coach um, at Georgia. And it's, it's just crazy to see because, you know, coaches are moving all the time, uh, and when, when you have – movement like this uh so quickly it's it's definitely surprising to see he's i mean he's a huge addition you know the fact that he he has the elite uh recruiting acumen that that uh he has i think is is super big and it's going to just continue to to elevate the recruiting uh ceiling or just to the guys that they're going to be getting at georgia um you know they lost jermaine burton to alabama and one of the weirdest transfers that we've seen of this whole offseason going to uh the team that you just beat in the national championship um but yeah i mean the rich get richer that's the, the easiest way to put it and obviously it's a move that makes a lot of sense i think i saw someone tweet on my timeline and was like uh don't worry miami he's going back to his alma mater so it's okay or like you guys understand <laughs> it's the alma mater angle so um, it's just – it's crazy, man. It's just another move in today's college football. Like, it feels like no one's job is safe and people could leave at any minute. Man, I didn't think about that. That's funny. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was just crazy that um, he was officially announced at Miami as their wide receivers coach in passing game. Because for a while it was just the fact that he – it was just reports and people were taking screenshots that may or may not have been real of him on their – on uh, Miami's athletic directory. And, um, and then he ended up getting announced there and was hired. It was, um, as far as I know, I think he was, you know, making visits and going on recruiting trips with, with the staff. 
Um, and then uh, all of a sudden he's, he's going just not even a month later to, to Georgia. Um, and I think the Georgia thing makes sense. You know, he coached there for, for nine years, um, played there as well in the late nineties, early two thousands, I believe. So it makes a ton of sense um, for him, but I just think it's so weird that, you know, he wasn't even on staff at Miami for, for a month. There's just gotta be a punch in the mouth to, to Cristobal and some of those recruits that you were talking about that, you know, he went and visited. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Andrew's comment that I put up on here, he said, how's that feel Mario? So um, yeah, just more coaching movement. I, I think that the ducks are in, in a great position. You know, the, the more people that I talk to, it's, I, I don't think that, you know, Florence is the, is the last guy in 22 that they're going to add here. Um, and Oh, with, with also with, uh, you know, just talking about Miami and Georgia, they're still without an offensive and defensive coordinator, which is something that, is really interesting because I think when he was at Oregon, sorry to switch up real quick, but when he was at Oregon, um, you know, every that was kind of something that I really, uh, you know, gave him a lot of credit for is that he he wasn't, you know, um, impulsive when it was coming to some of these hires that he had to make. He was really calculated. He vetted the heck out of everybody that he brought on board. But he's been at Miami for almost two months now, and they still don't have an offensive or defensive coordinator. Uh, they're making some waves in, in, uh, on the recruiting trail. And uh, it's got to be hard to, to pitch some of these guys if you still don't have an offensive and defensive coordinator in place. So, um, man, I, I'd love to be a fly on the wall, uh, you know, on, on some of those meetings in Miami just to see kind of what's going on. Yeah, one of those recruits asked Cristobal, you know, what's the defensive game plan? What, what am I going to – what's my fit here? I was like, I don't know. We don't have a, <laughs> don't have a defensive coordinator yet. Um yeah, that's it's impressive though the fact that they've got a couple guys from the transfer portal and some guys on the on the recruiting trail while not having offensive and defensive coordinators. Um, so it makes me wonder if anybody's going to change their mind if you know a guy gets hired and you know their scheme that they that they bring up doesn't really fit their their game plan. I, I wonder if that's that's going to play out a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that's super crazy because everybody it seems like that's. Um, you know, changed head coaches. It seems like they're all set except for Miami. Yeah. Who who knows how that's actually going to shake out and when they're going to get those people on board. Um, you know, you got, um, obviously we talked about Dave Uley, who's uh, obviously an Oregon recruit. Uh, Kristen Miller from Georgia is, is a guy that Oregon's been after for a while. I, I feel like they're probably on the outside looking in, but I could be wrong. I mean, you know, maybe that's a damn landing factor, kind of a recruiting win for the Ducks. Kristen Miller was in Miami for his final visit. Josh Connerly was also in Miami for a visit this past weekend. So we're seeing a ton of overlap here, you know, just with uh, with guys that, you know, Mario Cristobal is still trying to, uh, you know, recruit that, that had connections to, um, that had connections to Oregon. Yeah. And I, you know, there is credit that needs to go to Cristobal, the fact that they've added some of those guys um, and they're getting all these, recruits on campus even i think that's impressive but um yeah i mean you, you can't do a whole lot without your offensive and defensive coordinators you 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 definitely i think the time's starting to tick down it's almost national signing day and if they want to make any more noise and and flip some guys i i feel like they'd probably need to to make some hires very very soon as the ducks head into uh wednesday's national signing day we have some more guys for you to keep an eye on uh, Arliss Boardingham, the 2022 athlete that we already talked about out of Southern California. He's going to be a guy to watch. Marion Winston, I think, is another one to watch. Um, you know, Maybe he could kind of project as one of those edge guys that could hopefully fill a need for Oregon. He was on campus for a visit this past weekend, um, which is big. He was a former commit. 
Uh, Jordan James, the running back out of Tennessee, is another one that we talked about. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else. Jalen Davis Robinson in the 2022 class. Um, so th- those Andrew are some Paul. of the guys that Andrew Paul. I, I feel like the Andrew Paul is probably going to Georgia or Clemson at this point, just because uh, we the whole timing with him with that offer. You know, Jordan James took his visit to Oregon and then got visited in home. Uh, and then after he got back from that visit, Andrew Paul got offered by Georgia. Um, and then ultimately mm. ended up taking a visit there to, to Athens this past weekend. So I feel like it's starting to kind of get a little bit clearer, but he is a name to watch for sure. Since the ducks kind of put some, some, uh, you know, pressure on him uh, and tried to, to, you know, get that relationship started. And I'm sure they tried to get him out for a visit. Uh, but those are some of the main guys that I think are, are worth watching as we head towards signing day. Uh, we're going to have another live stream tomorrow, but uh, any any recruiting or Oregon notes that you want to uh, get out there, Dylan, before we get off? Yeah, and just in terms of dates that I know of, um, just for people that are aware, um, Jordan James, I believe, will be committing 9 a.m. Pacific on Wednesday. Um, I think Andrew Paul is like 9.20, 9.30 um, I think he's still got Oregon as a finalist. And then Dave Uly is 3.30 Pacific. Um, the only one I don't know when, I guess there's two. The two that I don't know when they're committing are Boardingham and Davis Robinson. I don't know if I've seen dates for, for either of them. But I would imagine that both are going to be committing sometime early this week. Like wh- probably Wednesday or before. Yeah, Davis Robinson, I was told, is going to be committing uh, Wednesday morning. Um okay. So that that's going to be an Oregon LSU battle. He took his visit to Baton Rouge over this past weekend. And uh, I'm told that that visit went really well. So going to try to do some more digging there. But uh, after getting Florence and uh, Terrell and Gonzalez, uh, going to be interesting to kind of evaluate the numbers there. But before we get out of here, Dylan, where can people find more of you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, I believe it's at Dylan Rubin King. I don't remember what exactly it's at now. Um, oh yeah. Spring game. There you go. That's important. Um, yeah. April 23rd. Heck yeah. Hope to be there for that. So, um, hopefully we can, we can link up and, um, you know, check out the ducks, but yeah, uh, follow me on, uh, my work on ducks digest. I'm posting stuff on there often. Um, and then as well on the transfer portal CFB. And if you're interested in, in writing or doing any sort of YouTube content, podcast content, we're looking for new people. So hit me up. Awesome. Got to get that plug out there. If you guys are watching on the live stream at youtube.com slash Oregon football, Max Torres, uh, kindly ask that you hit the subscribe button. Uh, really helps us grow the channel and is a tremendous help. It's free. Uh, it only takes a second out of your day. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button, hit the like button for us and make sure to hit the notification bell so that you don't miss it anytime we go live in the future. Uh, and then go ahead and follow me on Twitter at mtorussports. You guys can see Dylan and I's ats right there on the screen. And uh, would really appreciate it if you would give us a, a positive review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. You can find more Oregon Ducks content at uh, Ducks Digest. That's si.com slash college slash Oregon. And lock in with us on all the other social media platforms. We're at Ducks Digest on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That'll do it for Dylan and I. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Big week of recruiting in store for the Ducks. Take care, everyone, and we will see you in the next episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.